his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. We're going to talk about why it's a problem. I can't find anybody to be bearish on the stock market. We're going to talk about Bitcoin and the momentum play there. Extreme stock market bullishness black swan event that can impact your portfolio in a very big way so we got a great show ahead of us i'm andy gersher this is gains real quick uh, before we get started be sure to subscribe follow and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So let's bring on Mark Holbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, marketwatch.com. He's based out of Washington, D.C. Full disclosure, I am a contrarian, a stock market contrarian, and a contrarian in life because of Mark Holbert, because (laughs) of meeting Mark Holbert 20 years ago. Um, So, hey, Mark, uh, glad to have you on the Gaines podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been a great 20 years. Yes, it it certainly has, 20-plus. And um, I I think the first thing, we we always talk about the contrarian view of stocks. Um, And as I mentioned, I'm a contrarian in all aspects of life. I I feel that most of the times when the lemmings zig, I zag, and so forth. So uh, just to kind of kick off the conversation here, what is a stock market contrarian? Explain that, Mark. Well, basically, the idea is that when there is an extreme consensus or almost approaching unanimity in one particular direction, you the contrarian would take a bet uh, in the opposite direction. So Uh, A contrarian technically spends a lot of time in the middle not taking a position. So if there's a lot of of disagreement among advisors and so forth, then there's really not much to go opposite to. But if everyone's bullish, and I think now is one of those times, then a contrarian would be looking for uh, ways to take chips off the table, or if the contrarian is particularly aggressive, might even take some bets that the market's about to fall. In the same way, when there's an incredible amount of despair and pessimism out there is widespread, then a contrarian would be looking for uh, ways in which to start taking bets on the long side. Well, you know, we recently kind of talked about this on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Uh, We were discussing, and in fact, I made a call earlier in the morning and I had mentioned to you, you know, Mark, I, I try to get people on the show to uh, you know, just balance things out, and and I I wanted to find somebody who's bearish 
on the stock market and to come on the show and and talk about it. Well, I've just made a million calls, not really, but a, a, a ton of calls, and I can't seem to find a bear uh, or anyone who's overly bearish on the stock market. Everybody's like inflation's kicking in full. You know, we got an infrastructure deal that's going to be kicking in. Uh, you know, markets were coming out of the pandemic markets full speed ahead. And and again, like I said, there, I can't find anybody who's bearish. That scares the heck out of me because I remember the last couple of times when I've had that situation where I couldn't find anybody to talk uh, bearish on, on the market, we would see a, a downturn. And, and explain why when there's no more bears, that's a really big deal. And, and investors should take note, right? Right. I, I think so. And indeed, my uh, you know, we, we track the sentiment in the market very carefully in a, as quantitative a way as we can, can measure. And uh, our measures confirm exactly what you're finding uh, when you're trying to call uh, guests to see if they're willing to take the the bearish side of a discussion. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing right now close to record levels. We, we, we've we been tracking it on a daily basis, the sentiment on a daily basis since 2000. And uh, right now, I, I think we are hard-pressed to find any day uh, in the last 20-some years in which there was more bullishness than what we're seeing right now. So we definitely can confirm that we're at one of those times when there's uh, an extreme amount of bullishness. The question of why would that be bearish is an interesting one, and I think there's both a, 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 uh, both a, a market-related reason and a, a psychological reason. The, the market-based reason is that uh, what propels the market higher is flows of new money into the market. And uh, the reason that the market will take off in a big way after a bear market, and as the market turns upward, and there's a, a very explosive rally typically. We saw that, of course, last year after the March low, and the, the market was up 50, 75 percent within three or four months. That's incredibly powerful rally. It was because new money was coming into the market, whether it was new money from the stimulus or whether it was just people had uh, put money on the on the sidelines when the market started turning down, and then they turned around and put that sideline cash back in the market. So the flows of new cash into the market provide – that's a very rational reason why the market would go up. However, when everyone's bullish, it follows, I think, uh, fairly straightforwardly that uh, there's not much left on the sidelines. Any money that was going to be put into the market uh, when conditions seem right will have already put the money in the market. So there's not a lot of sideline cash left to, to propel it higher. So that's reason number one, which I think is a more fundamental reason as to the, how the markets work. There's also a psychological reason, which I think is just as important, but it's a little more subtle. And that is that when everyone's bullish, they just don't uh, they don't necessarily subject the bullish arguments to the kind of scrutiny and skepticism that we should basically subject all opinions in the market to. And so uh, if 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 you and I are bullish and we read something that's bullish and in, in, uh, another reason to be bullish on the market, we're we're more likely just to take it. Oh, well, of course. And then we don't really go do the work of subjecting it to some historical scrutiny. And that's what I think could be particularly dangerous is that we get into this uh, group think, almost a herd instinct that leads us to just unquestioningly accept the, the consensus point of view. And so we're, the, the psychological factor in combination with the, the fundamental factor 
uh, I think, gives a powerful rationale for why the market tends not to do well when there's so much bullishness out there. And this this occurs in all kinds of markets. I mean, we're not just talking stocks. This is oil. I'm, you know, uh, just talking about markets. And and you recently talked about Bitcoin momentum and how, you know, jumping in on those momentum plays when it comes to crypto and Bitcoin could be a hazard. Um, you know, we you talk about how everybody is real high on crypto right now. We talk about it a ton on the Gains podcast. I just turned over to the crypto markets down. I have a lot of stuff down. I got Cardano down 10%. We have Bitcoin down 4% right now. Ethereum down about 4%. Um, some of the uh, smaller coins, Doge down 10%. Shiba down 15%. You know, if you would have listened to everybody at the beginning of the week, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and all this crypto had nowhere to go but up. So that just kind of speaks to it. It happens in all markets. It really does. And then unfortunately, this is why most individual investors lose money or at a minimum don't make as much money as they would if they just simply put the money into whatever asset is and not try to trade it out. Because human psychology being what it is, we want to invest when the market is at a top. And the reason for that isn't because the market is somehow, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, a curmudgeon that just tries to make everyone miserable. It's rational. When everyone is bullish, that's when the news is all good, and that's what propelled the market higher. So that's when most of us are likely to put money in the market. And so per our previous points, that's when the market's more likely to turn down. There's not a lot of sideline cash to keep it going. Then the market turns down, and then we get discouraged, and we say, uh-oh, it was a mistake for me to put the money in the market, so we pull it back out. So we're constantly being whipsawed. We go uh, into the market when it's high. We get out of the market when it's low. So that's that's a recipe for losing money. And indeed, most of us as individual traders lose money. And that's the, the it's it's not really a dirty little secret because it's not that much of a secret, but most of us don't do as well if we as we would if we just put our money in an index fund and did nothing else. And it doesn't have to be an index fund in the stock market. It could be an index in gold, it could be an index in crypto, whatever it is, chances are that that index or whatever market is that we're trying to track will do better than any of us individually will do when we try to trade in and out. Well, yeah, but Mark, that's not fun. I mean, I'm a degenerate gambler. I mean, that's taking all the fun out of the stock market. Well, I mean, that's such a good point. And I think that that is sort of the, the beginning step of wisdom is to really understand why we are in the markets. We, we like to kid ourselves that we're in the stock market or whatever market it is in order to build up retirement wealth or whatever goal we have. Uh, but in fact, if we're being very honest with ourselves, it's it's because it's fun and it's uh, it, the excitement of the th and the thrill of winning a bet. It's it's just the same as going into a casino, and uh, so I think the, the the distinctions between gambling and the stock market are are uh, are not as big as we like to think of ourselves. We don't like to think of ourselves as gambling when we go in the market, but uh, much of the same underlying motivation is there. And so I think the way to deal with that is not to deny it. I mean, that's that's a, there's nothing particularly wrong with wanting to make a bet. You just don't want to make a bet with resources that will dramatically reduce your retirement standard of living if you lose the bet. And so I think 
the best advice that, that I've heard, it's not my advice, though I, I, I love to repeat it, which is that you divide up your assets between a uh, – so some people refer to it as a permanent portfolio. You don't touch it. You basically invest it in a group of uh, diversified index funds across different markets. The most you do in that is to rebalance the portfolio, let's say, every year as standard practice goes. And then you have another portfolio, a more speculative portfolio, and that's your play money. And uh, and you know, hopefully, it's it, it's presumably not going to be as big as your permanent portfolio, but it still has enough for you to to uh, to have fun with. And the other nice thing about it is that you have an ongoing scoreboard of how you're doing because you have that permanent portfolio out there to see whether you've done better or worse over time than you would have by simply going with your permanent portfolio. But it's psychologically realistic. It's recognizing that we like to play. Uh, my wife is a is a clinical psychologist, and uh, you know she often points out that you know you can have a recovered alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic, and you can say never ever take a drink again. But if you realize that there are times when they will be tempted to take a drink, it may be better to educate that client on here are the situations in which it's safer to go ahead and have a drink of wine. And here are the situations where it's danger, danger, Will Robinson, don't even touch it. And it's just realistic to expect that people are going to be tempted. And it's the same way in the stock market. It's it's one thing if we were all sort of mechanical automatons and we were just entirely rational, like Mr. Spock on Star Trek or something, then it might be okay to say, you know what, just invest in an index fund and do nothing else. As you say, it's boring, but, you know, we're we're just – unemotional mechanical beings and it doesn't matter but we're not we're psychological beings that have all the human emotions that go with it so let's recognize that and create a system that allows us to take advantage of the statistical fact that an index fund is likely to do better and takes advantage of the fact that we're human beings and we like to bet so we can do a little of both yeah you know i i use that same thing i always joke about how i'm a degenerate risk taker and, you know, I'm throwing everything in crypto. But I, I too, am like you. Uh, I mean, full disclosure here, I have the degenerate crypto and all that. And that's the fun stuff. And I actively trade. But like I said, full disclosure, I also have the Vulcan account. The, uh, <laughs> the, the dollar cost average that goes for crypto, that goes for oil and energy, and that goes for stocks. And those are like uh, for the crypto, my Vulcan account for crypto is dollar cost average in Ethereum and Bitcoin um, with oil dollar cost average into high dividend um oil companies uh and, and then you talk about the you know s p uh just index and and in dollar cost averaging in that and i, I gotta tell you that's the way to go and you can sleep at night um the degenerate side of things is a lot more fun but and you spoke to this i how and this is advice for gamblers as well how do you psychologically uh, keep things in check. How do you prevent your just your your gut instincts and and the way you think in getting in the way of you making big gains? I mean, how do you control that? Well, that's a very good question, and it really depends on uh, one's you know you know how disciplined one is likely to be. I mean, if one can 
really follow one's own rules that's uh, that it, without any artificial restrictions then then you probably don't need them but there are ways in which you can set it up that uh, it makes it very difficult to touch a portfolio i mean and uh, talk to a lawyer if you have to and figure out you know you can create uh you know any of a number of legal uh you know structures where you don't uh, have the option of uh, touching that money more than, let's say, once a year or I don't know. I mean, I'm just making some of this stuff up. And and, and it's different. I mean, when you think about it, too, it's different than it was 20 years ago. We all have these devices uh, on us 24-7 that give us access to our account. I mean, crypto trades 24-7, so I could be having a glass of wine on a Sunday night watching football and be actively trading, that can be dangerous too because you constantly have access to this stuff, um, you know, whether you have a Robinhood app. I mean, I guess the 401K and some of that stuff's probably a, a good thing to have because you can't just immediately go in and out of that quite as easy. But uh, I think modern That's technology right. is kind of added to the dilemma. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, I've done some interesting studies on this. You just look at exchange-traded funds, which are, of course, identical to open-end mutual funds. With an open-end mutual fund, you can only trade once a day, right? Whereas an ETF, you can trade any second of the of the day when the market's open, and probably for many of them, you can trade them overnight in the in electronic markets. And so. Uh, it's exactly what you're talking about. You have the option of changing your mind anytime. Whereas, you know, you think about it, that's hardly a much of a restriction to say you're going to have to wait to four o'clock Eastern before you can get out or into the market. But that simple difference makes a huge, uh, has a huge impact on performance. And the reason I know that is that a number of the investment newsletters we monitor uh, have for years had uh, model portfolios of open end mutual funds. And then uh, it, maybe 10, 15 years ago, they would also create an additional model portfolio uh, containing just exchange-traded funds. And so they would have two portfolios side-by-side, side, one with open-end mutual funds and one with exchange-traded funds. And since it's the same advisor behind each one of them, you know it's the same underlying investment rationale. It's the same investment IQ on the part of the advisor that is motivating the trades. And so you can see what difference does it make to have an ETF and the ability to trade at any time versus using open-end mutual funds? And on average, it's really quite amazing. On average, the portfolios of open-end mutual funds do better than the exchange-traded funds. And it's like, you know, the ability to trade any time is like handing a loaded gun to a child. They're likely to shoot themselves. I, it's, so, especially if you're like a if you are a big-time risk taker. And it's always there. I mean, yeah, the downside is just big. It really is. And so, you know, if you look at the markets every day or every second of the day, which becomes also easy for us to do, is that, you know, you see a news headline and you think, oh, my God, I'd be crazy not to either get out of the market or get back into the market. And you just you feel like you're missing out on, uh, you know, uh, you know, you're going to kick yourself if you didn't do it on that very second. And so it's just overwhelming. All you have to do is push a button and it becomes irresistible. Whereas if you knew that, hey, I couldn't trade until the end of the day or, you know, even better, there are some mutual funds where you can only trade once a month. And, uh, you know, anything like that, um, even though it can seem seem like a ridiculous restriction, 
in the end, provides a good check on our emotions and our instincts to trade far too much. All right. So we're going to talk black swan events. We'll talk um, stock market trends and that kind of thing. But it's it's we got to get the shameless plugs in real quick here. So, uh, and I'm going to ask you for yours here in a second. Let me get this one in. Uh, I've been told by everybody, this is podcast gold. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple podcasts. If that's a a possibility, again, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on on Apple Podcasts. Again, you're listening to Gains with Andy Gersher, G-A-I-N-S, Gains with Andy Gersher. And um, Mark, what what, what, do, what kind of plugs can we give you? What, what what do you got? I mean, we we always bring you on as investment columnists for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, uh, three of my go-to sources, by the way. Uh, wh- wh- give us a little more info about yourself, Mark. Well, yeah, you can go to any of those three sites. I write most frequently for the MarketWatch website. I write, uh, golly, four or five times a week on that site, and then uh, less frequently, but periodically as well, for Barron's and the Wall Street Journal. So uh, all you need to do is go to any of those sites. Almost all of those columns uh, at some point or another will be uh, – you You can don't have to go through a paywall to get them. There. are I, I believe that the, the number of them that they do, however, put behind a paywall. So, uh, you know, it, 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 <laughs> it sounds like a shameless plug, but I mean, it, it's, it doesn't help me one way or the other. The money goes to Dow Jones, but I mean, I highly recommend going ahead and uh, getting behind the paywall if you want to read one of my columns. I think that what they do is uh, they'll, they'll pull up my the headline in the first paragraph or so of my piece as sort of a teaser and then say you need to pay it to get the rest of the column. And if it, it looks interesting, go ahead and, and, and subscribe. I don't think the paywall uh, is all that high of a wall. I think it's relatively inexpensive, but I actually don't know what the price is. Well, but- well and, and it gives you access, like for MarketWatch um, and, and uh, you know, Wall Street Journal, of course, is I love the Wall Street Journal. But even in MarketWatch, where I my most frequently read you, um, you know, it gives you the whole site too. Market Watch has got a lot of good stuff, and uh, you, Mark, writes about a lot of this the stuff that we talk about on gain. So he's certainly a must read. Uh, one of the things that you recent we, we we talked about not too too long ago is also Black Swan events. And uh, I, I guess first of all, you know, this is a journey. There's a lot of folks who are just learning as we go through this journey, this gains journey together. So um, I guess, first of all, Mark, I- explain what a black swan event is. Well, yeah, I'd be happy to. Now, you know, uh, there there are probably lots of different definitions of a black swan. Um, and so, uh, you know, one, one should uh, definitely research it more. Uh, the, the general f- idea behind a black swan is that it's something coming out of left field. And I think by definition, it's unpredictable. I mean, uh, if it were predictable, then it would already be included in, uh, you know, it would be taken into account as the market sets prices. So, uh, you know, that's just how the markets work. It's, it's always discounting the probabilities of future events, both good and bad. But there are certain events that are that are black swans, and these are ones that uh, just come out of left field. An example, which God forbid, we'll we'll never see in 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 the foreseeable future, is you know, let's say an asteroid were to 
land in the middle of the ocean and create huge tidal waves or something. We can't, maybe we can predict when asteroids will hit, but there are times when we can't, and it would just completely wreak havoc with uh, the world economy. It would cause uh, global temperatures to plunge. It would just, it would just be a terrible event, as you can imagine. So there are events like that. I mean, the, you could claim that the COVID-19 pandemic was, uh, was one of them, though, you know, at least in that sense, there was a little more lead time. People could see that it was coming down the pike and, and, and perhaps get out. So some people did get out earlier rather than later. But that, that's an example of something. So basically, the definition is it's awful and it's unpredictable. And uh, um, so, you know, you can imagine the difficulty of trying to uh, take that into account in your portfolio. It's it's Since it's by definition unpredictable, you can't anticipate it other than construct your portfolio in a way that always has uh, some insurance uh, in it. The same way that, you know, you can't predict when your house might burn down, but we buy insurance in order to protect our our house from that uh, awful event. And there are some ways of doing that, some better than others, but there, there, there's some intriguing approaches that uh, people have come up with. One uh, that uh, that I've written about, and there are technical details here, and no one should ever uh, do any portfolio transactions on the basis of my comment here. But uh, you know, the, the, there was one researcher who went back and looked and it went back, I think, about 20 years and figured out what portion of your portfolio ought to be invested in a put option, an S&P put, a 500 put option, that being a an option that will gain if the market falls and will lose if the market rises. And he calculated out something like 3.3% of your portfolio. Every January 1, you just go out and buy an out-of-the-money put option. That's one that, uh, you know, that anticipates the market dropping by a huge amount. And you just hold it for a year. And in most years, you're going to lose a good portion of that 3%. It's like buying uh, home insurance. You, you're not upset at the end of the year that you, your house didn't burn down, but it was worth it to have the insurance. And uh, But there are times when that, that put option will pay off in a big, big way, uh, rarely, but now and then it will. And you'll make up uh, much of the losses that you would otherwise have incurred. And then you smooth out your returns over time. So uh, the, this particular research that I'm referring to went back and uh, uh, so for the last 20 years, I think, is what they looked back at and found that uh, you actually would have made more money over the last 20 years with this strategy. So you buy an index fund with 96.7% of your portfolio, take 3.3% of it, put in a put option, and you will lose a lot of that put option of money, your insurance every year, but in, day, you know, in years like last year, You'll just uh, make so much money that uh, you'll end up coming out ahead, and you basically have an insurance policy. Now, that's just one example, but uh, it's not trying to anticipate when a black swan occurs. It's simply recognizing that there are black swans that are out there, and you can't anticipate every terrible thing that might happen. How You, you know, you mentioned that's a, a great tactic, and, uh, you know, for the gains listener you know, that's that's always a, a nice it's a nice little three percent insurance policy that you lose. And, and then again, in a lot of years when the market's doing really well, you can offset that loss. But then when you have like the financial crisis or or like a pandemic and markets just get crushed, 
that offsets it. And I bet you you're pretty glad you're you you've made that move when when that one in every 10, 15 year market beatdown happens. Well, that's right. So imagine in you know in a market like uh, you know when the market's up a hundred percent as it it has over the trailing twelve months. I I forget exactly what it is, but at some point in the summer of this year, if you go back twelve months, it was up close to a double. Um, you know, so you know, so if you had your three percent insurance policy during that time, you know, you've given up a little bit. You, you'll still make most of that hundred percent with the ninety six point seven percent of your portfolio that's in the market. Um, I think you're pretty happy to give up a little, you know, a few percentage points of profit in order to be protected on the downside. So it's not like you're going to lose money. It just means you won't gain as much money as you might otherwise uh, have achieved in order to protect yourself on the downside. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. And on the other side, we're going to continue the discussion and talk about a random walk down Wall Street. So just hang tight. I'll catch you on the other side of the break. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Now, there's a book that I, I know I'm sure you've read. I'm a big fan. Uh, Burton Malkiel, Random Walk Down Wall Street. And and you, this kind of goes with your philosophy. Um, it, kind of explain a random walk down Wall Street. And again, it's, it's you know, a dollar cost averaging into big funds, not stock picking. Kind of goes with uh, your philosophy as well. Well, that's right. So, yeah, Malkiel's book was, is, was a major, major advance in our thinking about the market that came out in the 1970s, which you know is ancient history for most of us. But it's basically he pointed out that uh, that uh, the markets generally go up. He recognized that. So, in that sense, the market's direction is not random. He said the markets over time will go up, but the path that it takes between now and that eventual future of going up will be random. And that's what a random walk is. So it's an interesting distinction. So usually you'd think if I'm going to predict 
uh, you know, let's take the weather. It's easier to predict what the weather will be like tomorrow than what you can say the weather will be five years from now, right? But in the stock market, it may be just the opposite. It's easier to predict that the market will be higher, I'll just pick a number, let's say in 10 years, than it is today, than it will be tomorrow, right? Um, And uh, that's just counterintuitive, but that's exactly the point that Malkiel is making. We don't know the path the market will take between now and 2031, 10 years from now. Uh, but we know it'll be higher. I mean, not know for absolute fact, but a high degree of probability the market will be higher in 10 years' time. So that's why you shouldn't try to uh, to uh, jump in and out of the market along the way, because A, you'll be paying transaction costs along the way, and B, this gets back to our comments about contrarian uh, analysis, our psychology is such that we are going to be worse than random in picking those times to jump in and out of the market. And that's so amazing, really, when you think about it, is that if if you or I were guessing times to be in and out of the stock market or in and out of crypto or whatever it is, you'd think, you know, we'll win some, we lose some, but on average it comes out uh, in the wash and we're presumably no better or worse off, but we should at least equal the return of, the, uh, of the, either the crypto itself or the stock market itself. That's just not the case. We tend to buy at the wrong times. We tend to sell at the wrong times, which is just adding uh, insult to injury to the transaction costs that we'll incur nonetheless. So really, that's the point that Malkiel, I think, is trying to make. And he was, uh, you know, he was one of the early champions of uh, of index funds. I think he was on the board at Vanguard. He was a friend of John Bogle's and creating the first uh, Vanguard Index 500 fund, which was the first and still is one of the biggest index funds out there. And so uh, he deserves a lot of credit for pointing out that uh, this is really probably the best thing for most of us, at least in the permanent portions of our portfolio. A must read. And, you know, we talked about that Spock Vulcan uh, portfolio. That's the kind of stuff that you'd be doing in there is, I mean, you're just dollar cost averaging. You're going broad funds. Um, obviously, the degenerate portfolio—you you do whatever you want, and that's 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 called that's no different than like going to the roulette or uh, craps table in the casino. Um, right. But uh, all right, so let's pop over to crypto real quick. Um, you recently talked about momentum plays in Bitcoin and how that can be fruitless. Uh, it kind of explain what you found out with Bitcoin. Um, obviously, getting in the last couple of years has been a great thing um, in dollar cost averaging the last couple of years. But now it's getting adoption and you're getting funds and, and, and big money thrown at it. And it's getting a ton and t- a ton of buzz, even on all the financial sites, even in the past couple of weeks. Um, so the contrarian side of me thinks that... Uh, there may be it may be ripe for a beatdown. What are you finding with uh you know let's just take Bitcoin for instance, and I think that's what you wrote about Bitcoin momentum. Tell tell us about that. Right. Well, I, I should say uh, as a preface to any comment I make about crypto, I've been absolutely wrong in my <laughs> expectation. I thought that there was way too much bullish sentiment on uh, Bitcoin, you know, forty thousand dollars ago. So you know, I've been totally wrong about crypto. Every comment I make should be <laughs> with that context in mind. But what I did in this uh, in this recent column to which you refer was uh, I, I looked at any of the a number of popular trading strategies that uh, 
at least are popular in the stock market. And I looked to see if they would have been profitable in Bitcoin. And at least the ones that I study, and of course, I'm sure there are millions out there that you could possibly uh, study. And so I didn't study all of them. But the ones that I studied would not have helped you do better than simply putting your money into to Bitcoin itself. And this year is a good example. I mean, you may recall, I mean, Bitcoin was in the 20, 20 to 30,000 range at the beginning of the year. By April, it was over 60,000. So that drew a lot of money in. People said, oh my God, that's a great thing. You know, it's gone up $40,000 in three, four months time. I need to get in. Um, then it turned down. And by July, Bitcoin was actually almost at the same price at which it started the year. So it had done a round trip. Then a lot of people got discouraged and said, well, that was a false uh, false move to go up to over 60,000. That was a mistake to get in. So they get out. And then Bitcoin turned around again. And here we are now at uh, you know even higher prices than we saw in April. And so uh, you know, in that sense, Bitcoin is no different than any other uh, investment asset. As it goes up, it draws more money in, and as it goes down, it it uh, it uh, causes investors to take more money out. And so that that flow of money in and out is countercyclical. It ends up being that uh, you know they they get in when the the price has gone up, and then they get out when the price has gone down, and over time they end up losing money. It's back to the same reason why contrarian analysis works. And uh, it, it, I think in that sense, con uh, Bitcoin's no different. And, and as we wrap up things here, I, one other area that uh, I wanted to get your take on, and again, it's super risky and it's, it's, it's kind of different than your philosophy. What is your take on the meme stocks, the Reddit traders, you know, the Reddit apes, the ones who took, uh, you know, a, a, a dole, the stock dole and turned it into a meme stock. Um, the ones who took GameStop uh, to the moon uh, or do well, they took Dogecoin to slight partly partway to the moon uh, and then right. took GameStop and AMC higher. Uh, what was your take on on that part of the market? Well, I mean, it's all good fun. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I have to say that I tend to be cynical about the rationales that people give. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, the, there was a lot of breathless excitement that, uh, you know, the, that uh, the investors who were propelling these meme stocks higher were revolutionizing the market and they were democratizing it and they were sticking it to the man and, uh, you know, causing some of these big hedge funds to lose and so forth. I actually am of the opinion, and I can't prove this, but it's my suspicion that in fact the battle over GameStop was between different hedge funds, and one oh, of the hedge funds. Oh, that, that's interesting. I oh yeah yeah. Do do tell us more. I I I didn't well, look at it quite that way. Yeah, well, there are some who actually you know. So there were some hedge funds that. Uh, so I mean, by background on this, hedge funds get into battles with each other all the time, and so if one hedge fund sees that another hedge fund is heavily short in the given stock, you know, nothing would uh, make that first hedge fund happier than to cause a short squeeze in that stock and cause the hedge fund to have to cover, which will propel the stock even higher, as we saw it happen with GameStop. And so one of the suggestions, and again, it's just a suggestion, so I don't want to claim that I, uh, you know, I know this is true, but I know that things like this happen. So in that sense, it's not out of the question. And 
what could have happened is that one hedge fund saw an opportunity to try to make it look like it was all these individual investors that were causing the short squeeze and diverting attention from their own role in causing that kind of a short squeeze. And, uh, and so, you know, in that sense, you know, and, uh, you know, is it all the truth, even if it's partly true, who knows? But this notion that it's all the small guy against the big guy, um, I think is is fanciful. I mean, I saw a great quote from uh, Warren Buffett. It was uh, applied in an initial in a different situation initially. But, you know, the, uh, the 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 saying is that if in your poker game and after 30 minutes, you don't know who the patsy is, that means you're the patsy. That goes for and, marks, too. If you're in a room and you don't know who the mark is, you're the mark. Exactly. <laughs> and so. There, there, and I've written about this, and I don't have the citation, but there are researchers. Uh, it's it actually out of the University of Oklahoma. It was a fascinating study where they were actually able to look at individual trades and the volume of trades uh, on Robinhood, and found that Robinhood traders were consistently some of the last people to pile into a trade. So what would happen? And this is what causes some suggestion that maybe. My uh, conspiracy theory about one hedge fund causing the the short squeeze and trying to get uh, <laughs> individual investors to play along was that volume would start to pick up on these uh, on individual stocks, and then a week or so later, Robinhood investors would start piling into the stock, and Reddit investors would try to pile into the stock, and so. They were late to the game, consistently late to the game. It's some fascinating research. And so this notion that somehow they are the vanguard of some new revolution in the market is just is just wrong. I mean, I you know, investment newsletters have tried to create short squeezes for 40 years. And the, this notion that uh, somehow the idea of a short squeeze and creating battles in the marketplace is just wrong. I, I've been seeing it for 40 years. And so, you know, it's this notion that, you know, the, you, you just you fall back on old sayings, you know, like there's nothing new under the sun. This idea that something is new and this is a new development. Uh, I'm just very cynical about it. That's interesting. You're the first person I've talked to who uh, has brought that angle. I like that because the, you know, the narrative from all the, you know, financial um sites are oh it's a david versus goliath uh, the little guy is changing uh the the stock market forever that is a really really interesting take uh that uh i i haven't heard that's that i i don't think most people uh have looked at that particular thing this year because the the whole fine or this time around because that whole financial narrative is david versus goliath it's a very compelling narrative, isn't it? And I think it shows the power of the narrative. But uh, I, I think the narrative is the, – the, the, the true story is far more complicated. All right. So as we're wrapping up things here, hey, thanks for joining us. I mean, a ton of My great pleasure. information. We covered a lot of ground. And, Mark, I'm going to have you back uh, as often as you're available. Um, real quick – uh, any parting words as we wrap up today's gains podcast, you know, is it from extreme bullishness to no bears out there to black swan events? I mean, we kind of covered everything here. What what's what's your key takeaway here? Yeah, I mean, maybe a good takeaway is simply to say that uh, 
market tops. And we, you know, we, we've had an incredible run in the market and we're probably not all that far from a market top of some sort. It may be a short-term top or it may be a, a huge uh, major turn in the market. Who knows? But we're probably close to a market top of some significance. <coughs> Excuse me. We're probably close to a market top of some significance. And so the thing to look at is that market tops are a process rather than a single day event. And so I think that might be a good parting word is that we tend to think that, you know, we're going to hold on until that very day of the top, and then we're going to get out, assuming even, of course, that we'll identify the top on the day it happens, which, of course, we won't. But if we instead look at it as a process that happens gradually over a number of months, then we're more likely to start taking chips off the table when appropriate with an individual stock, individual mutual fund, or an ETF. And so then we're, it's, the, it's the reverse of dollar cost averaging to get in the market. You sort of dollar cost average to get out. And so what my suggestion is to people is create uh, criteria of when you know it'll be time to get out of the market, whether it's a price earnings ratio on the stock or the overall market or whatever it is. Create the criteria in advance of how you're going to treat when to get out of the stocks or funds or whatever it is that you're invested in. And then do it, and then you will, uh, you know, you'll you'll be immune from some of those emotional swings that will otherwise uh, sabotage you. Because I can guarantee you, on the day of the top, we will all be so bullish that the last thing in our minds will be whether we should be selling. And of course, that's when we should be. One of the the takeaways for me, and I'm glad you brought this up, and this is really appropriate for the gains listener. Uh, I like that idea of. A Vulcan, you know, the Spock portfolio, discipline, very calculated, dollar cost, you know, everything that we talked about that's responsible, and then having the degenerate fun. <laughs> I like the I like the distinction between Vulcan and degenerate. I had not heard that before. That's great. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, Mark, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Uh, that's Mark Holbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and Market Watch. You can read a ton of his stuff at marketwatch.com. Hey, thanks again, Mark. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay, good. Thanks for having me. So that's going to wrap up the Gains Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us. And be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And then also subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. We'll be back on Friday. I got a ton of good stuff, so I'm looking forward to talking cryptos, NFTs. We got a, a ton of stuff. So thanks again for uh, listening, and we will see you on Friday. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. 
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.